Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. We are offering a free trial to Audible. You can go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, sign up for that free trial, and then check out all of the uh, incredible audio content that is there. It is more than audiobooks. So that's all I'll say. Go on over, check it out. I think you'll like it. Over the years, uh, this podcast has gained recognition as a great resource for uh, small business owners, sales professionals, business leaders. Uh, we are fortunate to have been included on lists of the best podcasts to listen to all over the place, and, and we are really grateful about that. It, it's really because of the guests. Uh, these are folks who have expertise in a particular area of business, and they join me uh, to have a conversation where they share that expertise with all of you. And you are what it's all about. We are trying to get information into your hands that you can implement in your business uh, and also connect you to the experts out there uh, so that you can get the help that you need when you need it. Today is no different. Today my guest is Mark Butler. Mark is the founder of the accounting startup Let's Do the Books as well as the bookkeeper and CFO to top online entrepreneurs like Brooke Castillo. Before working in finance, Mark co-founded three online businesses that made nearly $2 million in revenue. Today, Mark combines his business savvy with his life coaching certification to help business owners take control of their finances and work through the anxiety that comes up when dealing with money. Thanks for joining me today, Mark. Thank you so much for having me, Diane. Absolutely. I, um, it's so funny when I uh, read your bio when I was getting ready for this episode, and, and I read that 
statement about, you know, the anxiety that comes up with dealing with money, it, it sort of makes me chuckle because it is so true, you know, that it's sort of a, uh, you have to deal with it, but it makes people sort of crazy. Yeah, it does. It's, um, it's funny how those numbers on the computer screen can cause such a range of, mo- of emotions in all of us. And, and, uh, as I've been doing the work I've been doing for the last seven years, that's been fascinating to me that, that it could be the same number and have a totally elicit a totally different reaction from the person. But those numbers yeah. really do seem to have some power. It is, it is so interesting. And so I want to start there with actually talking about um, shame and fear around money. And, and I'm curious um, about like how it creates that destructive cycle, you know, that self-sabotage so that it like business owners don't make good choices about their business. What, what is happening there? You know, I think money plays such a big role in our culture. Um, you know, especially American culture. I, I think that we tend to measure our success largely, and especially self-employed people and as, and as business owners, we, we tend to measure our success largely by how much money we make. And if that's true, then the, one of the challenges that presents itself is that someone is always making more than we are. And since someone is always making more than we are, if we want to, we can always find ourselves or, or say that we're falling short. We can always say we're failing because someone's always making more than we are. Hmm. So there's also this thing, I deal with a lot of uh, sort of up and coming business owners, people who are just in their first couple of years of business, and they tend to congregate with, with each other. And when they congregate, they tend to sort of compare numbers and they start, a, they, they notice that this person who's in our little group, she's kind of accelerating out ahead of the rest of us. And then some of us are starting to feel behind and why am I not succeeding as quickly as she is? And why is, is she smarter? Is she more talented? Do people like her more? And it can really start to spiral. And it all stems from this one number on a spreadsheet, which is how much money we've made in any given period of time. So if that, if a person gets into that cycle where they start to look at, she's making more than I am, then they can start to feel ashamed of that. Then they want to hide it or they want to hide from it. Then they start to avoid it. They don't want to look at the numbers. They don't want to stay in tune with the numbers, which can then cycle into, you know, more underperformance. The less they look at the money, the less aware they are of it, the less they do to get more of it. And then we're cycling downward. Oh. That's interesting. I, and I think that avoidance thing is amazing. I, you know, I feel like some, some people go through the whole avoidance thing and other people don't even think that the numbers are something they should be looking at. Like, I think sometimes they think as long as they can pay their bills, they don't need to be paying attention to and really deciphering the numbers. Yeah, you you see... A lot of people, and you know, it's not that this is always a total disaster. The, the reality is in, in a lot of businesses, you really can kind of look at the bank balance and people sort of set their own zero in their minds. It's been interesting to me over the years to watch and to hear people say, well, as long as my bank account has this much money in it, I know I'm fine. And that number could be 2000 for some people, it could be 200,000 for other people but they, they establish a certain zero level in their mind. And they say, as long as it's not below that, I'm fine. 
And as long as I can take X thousand dollars per month out of the business to support my family, whatever I need to do with it, then they just leave it at that. And the truth is, I can't even, I can't even say that that's the worst thing in the world. As long as they, their business is in enough of a rhythm that it keeps them above their zero. And as long as it puts the amount of money that into their pocket that they need. And I guess the third piece would be as long as taxes are not completely catching them off guard every year, then that's a system. It's a system that, you know, on a scale of one to 10, we'd probably call that a five. I don't think it's a terrible system. What I hope to give people is just a little bit more awareness than that so that they can actually look at the business and say, given the numbers that I'm seeing in this business, here's how I would actually like to see it evolve. I'd like to pay myself more on a monthly basis, or I'd like to hire a new team member who would free up time for me or help me grow. These are the kinds of things that it's harder to do without developing a higher awareness of the, of the financial specifics in your business. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. It's like you, you tread water and then God forbid, you know, there's some sort of unexpected upheaval. You're, you're really not necessarily prepared for that either. Right. Right. And those things happen. I mean, this, I think a lot of our, our fellow self-employed folks in this, this year have had a major upheaval because of COVID and in those moments, high financial awareness is so powerful because you understand your business at a, at a deeper level so that when there's an external shock like that, you know, a pandemic, you're able to say, well, I know my business well enough to know that if I have to cut back, here's where I'm going to cut back. And if I want to grow, here are the areas in which it is probably easiest for me to grow. The, the high financial awareness makes it easier for you to adjust to new and sometimes surprising realities. Yeah, boy, that's a good point. Okay, so so talk to me about setting revenue goals, and I, I mean it may sound like a silly question, but but why that's an important thing for a business? You know, setting revenue goals. Uh, what's the saying? The saying something like uh, plans are useless, but planning is one of the most important things you can ever do. And when you set a revenue goal, it, it can be so powerful, or it can be so negative, depending on the person and how they're approaching it. There are some people going back to what we talked about earlier, they'll set a revenue goal, and then they'll treat it as though it's the absolute final truth and reality in their life. And then if they miss that revenue goal, then we can get back into a cycle of sort of self-criticism and shame and hiding. And I don't love that, of course. But a revenue goal can be really powerful. I just did this for myself just a couple of days ago for 2021. And what I did was I said, Given what I want to do in my personal life, given what I want to do in my business life, how much money needs to come in? How much money would be exciting to me? And I mapped that out first on a monthly basis. And then I kind of extrapolated that to a 12 month period. And I said, okay, that's my number for 2021. That number would facilitate all the things I've said I want to do. My personal income, my retirement savings, uh, my uh, other, other personal finance goals things I want to do with my team. That's the amount of money that would make all those things possible. And I just set that number and I let it be a guide. It it ends up being sort of the horizon that I look at and I can lift my head up every once in a while and look at where I am relative to that goal. And it guides my behavior. It refocuses me on my most productive activities. And when I see shiny objects, 
It helps me not chase them. And when I get discouraged, it helps me not, you know, wallow in my discouragement because I can always reference back and say, no, but that's where I want to get to. And it helps me keep moving in the right direction. Okay. Okay. Now there's revenue and then there's profit and you and I know they're different. Um, but (laughs) but I'd love it if you would talk some about the, the value of also paying attention to profit margin. Oh, that's such a good question, Diane, because I operate in a world, my world is filled by a lot of uh, kind of life coaches, business coaches, health coaches, and these coaches, because they tend to congregate in masterminds and, and kind of groups, they will usually sort of celebrate each other around revenue numbers. You know, she did a hundred thousand this year. She did a million this year. And those numbers tend to be the ones that they announce and that they celebrate and that they discuss. And I've unfortunately seen situations where you'll come across a person who has worked her tail off to grow a business that's generating in the multiple six figures, you know, two, three, 400,000 per year. And she's done this over a period of years, but then in a one-on-one conversation, we dig into it and I find out, oh, you're actually not putting any of that money in your pocket. You're paying your coaches, you're paying your, uh, you know, your, your, um, your team members, like an administrator and copywriters and designers, you're paying for event spaces, you're paying for materials, you're paying for all these things. And you are creating a great experience for your customers, but almost none of that money is ending up in your pocket. Sometimes people who are in that position got there because their advisors, their early mentors said, in your first few years, you should be willing to just break even in your business. It's part of growth. It'll help you establish an audience. It'll help you establish a name. So be willing to break even, reinvest every dollar. And I almost agree, almost. The The only change I would make to that is establish the habit from day one of having some of the money that your business generates go into your pocket. In the early days, I don't care if it's just paying for a monthly dinner with you and your partner. I don't care if it's Uh, you know, paying your rent as the business starts to grow, some amount of that money needs to go into your pocket as an affirmation to you that your effort is worthwhile for you. The danger is that years can go by. And if you've gotten into the break-even habit, you don't know when to break the break-even habit. You don't know when it's time to say, okay, I've gotten to this level. Now it's time for the business to start paying me back for all my work. So if you, from day one, have a habit of putting some of that money in your pocket, then instead of trying to go from zero to something later on, you're going from something to something more later on. And that's an easier thing to do. So so knowing the difference between revenue and profit is really the essence of knowing that the business is bringing in a certain amount, but not all of that money is going to you and deciding to have some of it go to you and then deciding to have that amount grow over time in proportion to your effort. So I want to celebrate the top line number, the revenue number. That's exciting. I also want to make sure that there's a profit number that we can celebrate because that's the thing that actually pays for your life as an entrepreneur. entrepreneur. Right. That's great. Thank you for that. I think it's so important. And I think 
so many people focus on the revenue part, but not on the profit part, and and then yeah. get into this exact situation. Yep. Okay, so then how does a, a company, or how should they be using their bookkeeping data as a tool to help them actually reach those goals? What can they be doing with that information? I think that companies probably need to be looking at the highest level. They need to be looking at three numbers. Two of them we've already touched on. One is revenue and one is profit. Uh, revenue, of course, being the total, the total amount of money that your business brings in from the sale of its products and services. Profit being the amount of money that's left over after the business has paid all of its, its expenses. The other number that's kind of interesting to look at or, or interesting to stay aware of is cost of goods sold or cost of services. And this number is essentially the amount of money it takes to actually produce and deliver the thing that you sell. So if I'm a coach and I sell retreats, I might sell retreats that people pay $5,000 to, to attend and maybe 10 people come and that's $50,000, but maybe the venue itself or the, the hotel or the, the house that we've rented, maybe it's $10,000. Maybe we've hired a chef and that's $5,000. Maybe we're going to ferry people to and from the airport and limo service. That's another thousand or two. Then there's another thousand or so in like printed materials. These are the things that are sort of cost of goods sold, cost of delivery. And something that I've seen kind of sneak up on people in my industry in the coaching space is that when they think about their pricing for their experiences that they're offering people, they're not thinking about the cost of actually delivering that, that experience. So kind of back to the same issue we were just talking about. If they're not very in tune with what it costs them to create and to deliver the experience, then they find themselves surprised that they had an amazing retreat. People paid a lot of money to be there, but not very much money ended up in their pocket. So I would encourage people to stay very in tune with the cost of creating and delivering the product. The other thing along those lines is in the online space with courses and coaching, I've even seen, seen some accountants who treat marketing expense as a cost of goods sold or a cost of delivery. And it's not something that I've done, but I don't fault them for doing it because what they're saying is if I have a $5,000 program and it takes, you know, $2,000 to create and to deliver the program, deliver the experience, and then it takes another $2,000 to advertise it, uh, $2,000 per, per customer to advertise it. Well, by the time I've paid for the cost of creation and the cost of advertising, there's really not that much left. And that sounds, you know, that math is not complicated. It sounds very simple, but I have seen yeah. many entrepreneurs get bit by the cost of creation and delivery and by the cost of advertising. And that's where they get into this question of, wait a minute, I, I collected a lot of money from people. There doesn't seem to, very, to be very much left. What, what happened here? Got it. Okay. So I'm, I'm hearing that and I'm, and what I'm processing is, that it's really important to look at where is the money going specifically, not just like the marketing bucket, but what are, what were you marketing? You know, where, where were those dollars spent? Because it's really easy to not pay attention to how you're spending money. Yeah, really easy. Especially if your main focus is the revenue piece, if it's just that top line number, it's really easy to just sort of get caught up in the momentum of your business and to have your either you or your person who manages your ads say, well, we're going to up the ad advertising budget. And you're saying yes, because we need leads. 
go for it. So you're seeing the advertising budget grow. You're also seeing sales grow, but you're not staying in tune with whether one is actually outpacing the other, meaning is the amount of money that's actually come in, coming in, is it, is it worth the, the expense, but also the time and the headache associated with advertising that? And as you just pointed out, sometimes people will say, well, I'm advertising because I've got to have leads. And I say, like you just said, well, what are you advertising? They're saying, well, I, I just advertise to get people on my list. So my list is growing. And then they see that as sort of disconnected from the things they're actually selling. And then they end up leaking a lot of cash there. And I don't fault anyone for doing it. I don't fault the energy. I don't fault the optimism. I think that's all important to sort of the, the spirit of the entrepreneur. Sure. The challenge becomes, can I do the best possible job of attributing my marketing expense to the sales that are actually coming in? Is it actually driving sales or are most of my sales coming through word of mouth? Can I draw connections between the dollars spent on marketing and the dollars coming in from my customers? And if I can, then great. And if I can't, then I'm kind of putting those advertising dollars into a black box and I can't totally be confident about whether they're really doing anything for me in my business. Right. That's great. Okay. Thank you for that. That, mm -hmm. that just a ton of sense to me. Okay. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Great. Uh, the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is uh, sponsored by Audible.com, and we are thrilled about that. And I think you probably know that Audible.com has thousands of audiobook titles, but what you might not know is all of the other content they have, like podcasts and guided meditations and Audible originals, news, just so much is there that you could be taking advantage of. So... We're offering you a free trial, so you can do that very thing. You can go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, sign up for that trial, and then check it out. I can tell you uh, one of my favorite things about it is that I can access that variety of audio content without having to switch platforms, you know, without having to go from, from one thing to another. I can just stay within audible.com and, and get what I need and want, and I think you will too. I am also happy to announce that my new book, Succeed Without Selling, is now available in paperback. If you're a small business owner or salesperson and you struggle with the whole idea of selling uh, or getting the results you're looking for, uh, pick up a copy today. You can find it at your favorite retailer, either online or off. I think you'll find um, some real value throughout the book. Today we're speaking with Mark Butler about how to make a plan to achieve the financial year of your dreams. Um, so, so Mark, you know, we've been talking about goal setting and looking at the numbers and, and whatnot. I'm curious about what, how you would advise someone if they start realizing that they aren't hitting their financial target, what should they do? That's such a good question. And it's one that gets asked of me all the time. And this might sound like a funny answer, but usually, usually when I'm talking to someone who's missing their, missing their numbers, they often think that they have finance problems and what they really have are marketing problems. Now that's not always true, but 
when I go, sometimes a, a business owner will call me and ask for a consult and I'm happy to do that. And I look through their numbers with them and I ask them questions like, you know, how much are you paying yourself? Show me your team. How much are you paying your team? Show me your software subscriptions, kinds of expenses. Show me your marketing expenses. Show me all these things. And when I dig through those, I kind of gently ask, you know, if you were to, if you were to cut back here, what would happen? If you were to cut back there, what would happen? And what I found is very often there isn't actually that much of what we would call waste in their business. And I hesitate, almost hesitate to use the word waste because I, I don't, I don't love the sort of the kind of the attitude of that word. Cause I don't think business owners tend to be wasteful, but even looking for kind of money leaks and I will usually not find them in significant volumes. You know, I might say, well, here's a hundred dollar subscription we could cancel or, you know, you could take that one person on your team and you could cap the number of hours they work so that, you know, we're sort of having a fixed amount that that person is receiving every month. But overall, what I have found is that business owners who have some years of, of success behind them, if they're missing their numbers in the current year, it tends not to be because they're wasting money. It tends to be because something has changed in their marketing and they're not getting the same number of leads or the same quality of leads or contacts they've gotten in years past. And then that's showing up in their revenue numbers. And then of course, in their profit numbers. So very often what looks like a finance problem is actually a marketing problem. That's fascinating. It makes sense when you say it, but I would not have, thought about it because you always go to where am I spending money? Yes. It's the easiest thing to look at. You know, when people, when people, when their numbers are, are kind of dipping and there's some anxiety that comes with that and they think, Oh, I'm off track or am I going to be able to pay my bills? And then it's human nature to say, what can I control right now this minute? And what they do is they open up their bank statement or their credit card statement. They look for things that they can cancel. And it's not that that's a terrible exercise. I think that's wise to do even a couple of times per year. And you probably end up saving yourself maybe a couple of thousand dollars per year on the high side, unless you have some really expensive subscriptions that are like in the multiple hundreds of dollars per month. But for the most part, when someone goes on one of these little um, canceling sprees, it's going to be a couple hundred bucks here and there totaling maybe a couple thousand per year. And that's great. But if we're talking about real cash flow issues that actually impact your ability to pay yourself, it's almost always a marketing and sales issue. Wow. That, that's like liberating to me. Of course, it, then it gets into the whole, okay, then apparently I'm not spending my marketing yeah, right. dollars effectively. Right. <laughs> it opens other up other thing. challenges. It, <laughs> it, it can be harder to deal with those things because then you have, you know, well, am I failing? Do people not like me the way they used to like me? Is my message not resonating the way it used to resonate? But at the very least, what that does is it takes the focus off of you and off of your spending, and it puts the focus back on your audience and on your customers. And if things aren't working as well as they used to, then that's a good time to reach out to those customers, reach out to that audience and check in and say, hey, something's not resonating here like it used to. How can I serve you? What else can we do here? And that will spark your creativity. Canceling, you know, canceling that next $10 per month subscription is not going to move the needle quite like we wish it would. Right. That's great. Okay. Now we were just talking about anxiety. And, and so uh, <laughs> how uh, do we manage the anxiety between 
you know, when we set the goal and then we're watching our numbers as we're trying to reach it? Wow, that really is a great question. I think that a lot of that anxiety starts in the size of the goal that you set in the first place. Hmm. And there are so many philosophies of goal setting. And some people say that you should set, you know, really big stretch goals or even what they would call impossible goals because of how those will inspire you to take action. And I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. Um, Other people would say you should set very attainable goals so that you don't get overly anxious. So you don't get discouraged and you can kind of pick, you know, your goal for this year should be 10% or 20% more than last year, because then you can really chase it. Uh, This it's interesting because for me, if someone's telling me that they're going to set a goal, I say, first of all, I fully support you. If you're setting a goal, just because that goal kind of really expands your mind and causes you to think on a whole new level. I totally support that. But after you set that goal, you kind of have to let it go and you have to go to work and just let things be what they are. You have to stay determined. You have to stay working, but you can't be judging yourself day to day on a goal that you really only set because it was so mind expanding. Because oftentimes, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this quote, but we often significantly overestimate what we can accomplish in one year, but we seriously underestimate what we can accomplish in five years. Oh no. That's a quote from, I got it from Peter Drucker. I, I don't know if it's his quote originally, but that's where I first heard it. So sometimes people set these massive goals and the reality is they would probably be amazing five-year goals and they are terrible one-year goals, but they can still serve a person if, if that person is willing to say that goal is so inspirational to me, I'm going to set it and run with it, but I'm going to allow for the possibility that I've applied a five-year goal to a one-year timeline. So that's one way. Another way that I'll ask people to think about it is if they do set a goal and they say, no, this is the goal I actually want to hit, then I'll say, well, then we have to talk about the definition of attainable. We have to talk about what what are the pieces of your business that make you believe that that goal is attainable. So going back to marketing and sales, if someone says, I want to double my revenue this year, then I'll say, okay, great how are you going to achieve that? Are you going to achieve it through a doubling of price, holding the number of transactions constant? Are you going to achieve it through a doubling of the number of transactions, holding the price constant? If you plan to double the number of transactions, do you have a clear path to doubling the amount of traffic to your business and number of qualified leads in your business? And it's not that they have to have total certainty in every one of those areas, but they have to be able to look at those things and say, yeah, that could actually happen. That's not crazy. It's not crazy for me to uh, increase my traffic that much. It's not crazy for me to increase my qualified leads that much. But if as they dig into their goals, they're finding that every single piece of it seems crazy, like the dominoes that would have to fall to achieve the goal all seem highly unlikely, there still may be benefit to setting that big inspirational goal but you probably have to disconnect yourself from being very upset if it doesn't go that direction. Whereas if the dominoes that have to fall in order to achieve that goal all seem reasonable, they pass the sort of, yeah, that could happen test. 
then you go for it and you check in with it often and you use it to drive your activity. So this really is a mental game that each person has to figure out for him or herself. Yeah, well, <laughs> that that sounds um, like they could use some help with that because <laughs> I think that's got to be really hard for you know, someone to, to do on their own. I mean, I listen to this and I think, I, I would imagine that it, it really requires being very realistic and honest with, with yourself and, um, and really thinking about, okay, if that's the goal, then what's it going to take to make that happen? Like, what are the steps? And, and are those realistic? Is that Am I giving myself enough time? Because I find a lot of people underestimate the amount of time something takes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I would also encourage people in this exercise to, number one, get to know themselves truly and deeply. And number two, accept who they discover they are. There are some people who do best with huge seemingly unattainable goals and they find them so inspirational that those goals cause them to take action at a level that most of us won't take action. And I think that's a great personality type. I think that those people can, uh, they can do a lot of good. I think that other people can do a lot of good too, who are people who recognize that that's not them, that huge, seemingly unattainable goals cause a lot of anxiety and, and can, tend to discourage them, you know, a day, a week, a month after they set them. And I think you just got to get to know yourself and say, okay, I actually do best with goals that seem easy. So I like to set a goal that's like a no brainer because then I can just work steadily toward it and feel good while I'm doing it and just take consistent action. And over time, see the fruits of all those seeds that I'm planting over the long, over the long haul. I think you just got to get to know which one you are and embrace that and work with it. Yeah. Not compare yourself to other people and how they work their business. Totally. I've been able to work with so many business owners over the last seven years. And what it's given me an opportunity to do is sort of get to know myself by looking at how they operate and seeing how I differ. And Hmm. there was a, there was definitely a time where I would say, well, if I want to be successful, I have to think like she does, or I have to work like she does. But as time went on, I realized and I observed that so many people achieve so much success in so many different ways that I could figure out who I am and work with that and end up in a place that I'm very excited about, even though my brain works very differently and my processes are very different from what I've observed in a lot of my clients. Yeah, right, right. I always say, like when I do, when I work with small business owners on developing a sales strategy, I always say there's things you have to do in sales, but how you do them is totally based on who you are Yeah, and I love that. how you motor, you know? So that's yep. what we have to figure out. My system, the system that works for me isn't necessarily going to work for you. So 100%. I, I think that's, yeah, really very wise. Uh, Mark, I got to tell you, I really appreciate this conversation. I, I think there's so much about it that is uh, really liberating for small business owners, especially given, uh, you know, the times that we are in where I think there, there's added anxiety and, and added 
feelings of, of pressure and, and whatnot. So thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing that information. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I appreciate you and the questions you've asked and the way you've asked them. It's really been a great conversation for me. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Now, will you tell the listeners how they can find you? Yeah, the easiest place is just going to be letsdothebooks.com. Uh, on that site, you'll find an explanation of who we are and what we do and our services. And uh, if after hearing this, you feel like I'm a person you'd like to have a chat with, there's a link on that site where you can sign up for a consultation with me. And I'll look forward to talking to you. Oh, that's terrific. Thank you. And listeners, thank you. I think this is um, one of the things that I love about this episode and is that, boy, you could listen to this anytime at any point in your business and it's relevant and it matters and it, and it can really be helpful. So please, you know, listen to it at least once. If You know, share it. Heck, if you know someone who you think is struggling with some of these things, let them in on it. Uh, and I would like to thank our sponsor. Uh, to get your free trial of audible.com, go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and explore not just the audiobooks, but all of the other content that is there. And hey, you know what? Head over to your favorite bookstore, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling, and let me know what you think. That would be really terrific. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.